Om Ajnanati Mirandasya Jnananjana Salakaya Chakshuru Militam Jenatasmai Shri Gurve Namaha Ajanulambato Bhujo Kanakabharato Shankitanaya Kapitaro Kamalaya Takshu Vishvambaro Dvijabaro Yuga Dharma Palo Vande Jagat Priyakaro Karunabhutaro Sisi Gaurnitananda ki jai, Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Binda ki jai, Sri Mahat Bhagavad Gita ki jai, Sri Sri Krishna Arjun ki jai. At this point we are nearing the end of the second chapter. And the concluding portion of the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita is Krishna's response to Arjuna's questions about the nature of the sthita pragya the nature of the enlightened sthita pragya means uh, literally means of fixed intellect but careful study of the context in which arjun's questions arise reveals that what he wants to know is the nature of someone who's in samadhi so uh, the nature of the enlightened and how to uh, recognize them in this world. Good question. And he asks some specifics in this regard. He says, what is his nature in general? And that's been discussed. And how does he speak? And we also discussed that based on Krishna's answers. How does he sit? And thirdly, how does he move about? Or how does he, after sitting, get up and interact with people. So as of uh, today's discussion, we come, we are on text 58. And here Krishna begins to answer how the enlightened person sits. We'll see how far we get, but this question is answered and then further the question of how he moves about or interacts with the world bringing us to the conclusion of chapter 2, which, as I've mentioned in our previous discussions, chapter 2 also involves a type of a uh, summary of the entire text in kind of a sutra sense, in codes. And we've discussed that to some extent as we've gone through the chapter. But as the text of Bhagavad Gita ultimately speaks about becoming a devotee, and what it means to be a devotee and extols the virtues of devotion above all other types of yoga. It's only one subject, in a sense, in the Bhagavad Gita, and that is unalloyed devotion, shuddha bhakti. It is spoken about it directly and indirectly. So the discussion of karma yoga, jnana yoga, dhyana yoga, and so forth, mixed forms of bhakti, karma mishra bhakti, jnana mishra bhakti, yoga mishra bhakti, and even prior to yoga, which is real spiritual practice, as is described in the Gita, the religious life, dutiful life of Dharma, all these things are discussed. And they are all discussed for the sake of indirectly shedding light on the emphasis of the Gita on Shuddha Bhakti. So what it is, what it isn't, comparing it to other paths or how other paths and their fruits are contained within 
the uh, culture of bhakti. So we shouldn't have any confusion about that point. There's really only one subject in Bhagavad Gita, Shuddha Bhakti. So here in the chapter that is a sort of a summary of the text in chapter 2, which is in the beginning of the book, same thing we find at the end in chapter 18, a summary of the text, which is appropriate because even in ordinary uh, writing of an essay, we generally give an introduction which tells what the book will be about and then the conclusion that's reiterated in it's shown how we've reached that conclusion. So Bhagavad Gita works in the same way. So in that summary of the text, here we're at the end now of chapter 2. As we'll see, Krishna brings home, if we look carefully at the text, the idea of pure devotion, devotion to himself, and that the enlightened soul under discussion, the sthita pragya, is none other than a shudabhakta, a real devotee of the Lord. Krishna doesn't come out and say it in no uncertain terms here. So as I mentioned, it's kind of in codes. But that will be unpacked, what's here in chapter 2, in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6. And 6 culminates after having discussed in greater detail Nishkam Karma Yoga in chapter 3, Jnana Yoga in chapter 4, Karma Samnyas Yoga chapter 5, in other words, giving up certain karma, certain activities that aren't conducive to a life of meditation, that one who has, through acts of detachment and the acquisition of mystic insight, has the capacity to engage in meditation. And then meditation itself, dhyana yoga and sadhana in chapter 6. After all this, what's here in chapter 2 is unpacked. The conclusion of chapter 6 is what? Very strongly, not only in the concluding verse, but in several verses leading to the conclusion of the sixth chapter and the conclusion of the first six chapters, which is a section in a sense in and of itself, where the yoga psychology is described. Krishna brings home this point, bhakti, devotion, Devotion to me, that is the ideal. This is the best kind of yoga. This is what this book is about. And then, of course, he enters into chapter 7 in the middle six chapters, which emphasize that culture of Shuddha Bhakti. The theology of the Gita is found there. So, we should be clear on that, and it should come out to some extent in our discussion here of these uh, concluding verses from text 58 to text um, 72, I believe. So, how does he sit? Yadasam harjate chayam kurmongan vina sarvasha indriyan indriyarthebhyas tasya pragna pratishtita. So yadasam harjate chayam kurmongan vina sarvasha. Krishna says, he gives an example. When he withdraws from the world means when he sits. So there's some scope for that. Withdrawing from the world and sitting. There's a uh, Buddhist author who wrote a book with a very catchy title. In English, there's a saying, don't just sit there, do something. Don't just sit there, do something. And she wrote a book said, don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> so this is important. Sometimes it should be set aside for sitting. And how we move about, how we conduct ourselves, in active life, 
will have much to do with our capacity to sit. In fact, to the extent to which we cannot sit, then we should be active in a particular capacity, in a, in a particular way that will make it possible for us to sit peacefully and contemplate the nature of the self, the nature of being, the nature of the absolute. And most of us are in that uh, stage where we can't sit for very long. So what makes us get up is the desires that we have, of course. Therefore, a great philosopher and mystic like Shankar reached the conclusion that if you don't have any desire, then you sit. There's nothing to do. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Peace, peace, peace. If you have some desire, then you can't be peaceful, he's saying. And it's true. If we have desires in relation to material sense objects, then we can't be peaceful. We have to get up. We have to tend to those desires. They keep us busy. But there's something more, of course, to spiritual life than what Shankar spoke about, although there's much truth in many of the things that he says. And in this regard, in the Bhakti school, of course, we teach what? That there's also something worth getting up for. It is really the culmination of sitting. And Krishna Leela is the best example of that. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the example of that. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur in the line of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a good example of that. He sat for a long time. He took a vow to chant a billion, billion names, I think it was. Nine years in Nambhajan. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur. He got up from that and criticized Nambhajan. <laughs> made the balance of his, uh, his life a campaign against attempts to sit in bhajan that were artificial. But we shouldn't sit artificially and be idle with the mind wandering and use sitting as an excuse for not interacting in a healthy way with the world. And that does go on also. And nine years he sat in Nambhajan, and from that he got inspiration to get up and preach about the, what the nature of that bhajan is, how high it is, and how Mahaprabhu taught to arrive there by appropriate action, really. And the principal appropriate action is Namsan Kirtan. And in the context of Namsan Kirtan, or the, the chanting of the name, the glorification of Krishna, many things can be indirectly incorporated into that such that we can have an active life that doesn't take us away from what sitting is about, but helps to qualify us for such sitting. In the meantime, some sitting should go on. So we have our japa, nam japa. Nam japa is a limb of smaranam. Sanatana Goswami in his Brit Bhagavatamrita makes a point that one cannot do nam smaranam one cannot do rupa smarnam, one cannot do lila smarnam if one is too much materially agitated. Simple point, but you have to think amongst yourselves and amongst the devotees, you know how many of them are materially agitated. And to that extent, then we cannot do nam japa, japa smarnam, what to speak of lila smarnam. I spoke before, I think in the last session, about the nature of smarnam and 
from Nam Smarnam to Rupa Smarnam, this gradation that Jiva Goswami is given in Bhakti Sandarbha, from Nam Smarnam, then we become acquainted with what's inside of Nam is the Rupa, the Guna, Lila, I mean the form, the qualities, the Lila of the Lord. So first the form comes out, reveals himself in a particular way to us, in a particular way that corresponds with our inherent uh, nature, with particular qualities. Bhaji Rupa Goswami has given 64 qualities of Krishna. Jiva Goswami has given, I believe, 84 qualities of Krishna in Krishna Sandarbha. But these are principal qualities. And if we go to Sri Rupa's Samrita Sindhu, then amongst those different qualities, the Lord of Jashoda, the Lord of Subalsaka and Madhumangal, the Lord of Radhika, appears a little bit differently. In other words, certain qualities of the Lord become prominent in those uh, forms that correspond with the nature of their love. So as that form appears in our heart, then we go and consult our Guru. This I'm seeing this form of the Lord. Then he can say, oh yes, then you must go in this direction. You must culture in this way. Chant these names. Learn these sections of scripture and so forth. Rupa, Guna, Lila, a progression like this. So this is a high thing. This smarnam is central to the path of Raghunuga Bhakti, and we are Ragmarg Bhaktas. This is a Ragmarg Sampradaya, but we're beginners in that. This is the Paramhamsa Marg. Bhagavatam is Paramhamsa Samhitam. Nirmatsaranam Satam. So many are entering by the grace of the Paramhamsas that aren't Paramhamsas, so we must go in, in a gradual way. So some sitting should be there, and our Gurudeva gives some prescription for chanting. Some time should be spent for doing namsmarnam. And we should try to gauge our progress by how well we can sit. And to the extent that we can't sit well and chant and hear nicely, get up and get busy in the right way, without attachment to the results or in the context of bhakti. If we are in a position that we can do Krishna seva, all day long, like here, the devotees, they plant tulsi or flowers for Krishna, take care of Krishna's cows, cook for Krishna, arctic for Krishna. This is all directly and indirectly Krishna's work. We may be in another situation where our desires are such that we have our own interests other than Krishna's work. And so we have to pursue those, but in a healthy way, that they don't take us outside of the context of bhakti. So that means we have to do those activities with the culture of the sense of detachment from the fruits and some practical expression of that detachment of the fruit should be there in terms of serving Vaishnavas with the fruits of our work, seeing to the progress of the mission and so on and so forth. Still, even in that position, some sitting should be there. We should come back to that and see how we can become proficient in Nam Smarnam, then we can do Rup Smarnam, Guna Smarnam, Lila Smarnam, in this way. So some scope for this idea. Don't just do something, sit there. Because the, I've also seen in my experience that there is a tendency amongst devotees to keep busy. Keep busy and not have time for chanting. And in the name of, I'm talking about living it, even in the temple I've seen this. Now, if the guru says, don't bother about chanting, that's another thing. And what I'm talking about is an abuse of the principle where we really don't want to chant. And so we keep busy and uh, 
never develop any taste for the name. But if we're busy in an appropriate way, then when opportunity comes to chant, then we should find it heartening, encouraging. So here Krishna speaks about sitting. And he says that, and when he, the Sita Pragya, completely withdraws his senses from their objects, he gives an example, like kurma, like a tortoise, draws its limbs within the shell. His wisdom stands firm. He's a stita pragya. So, this is the idea. Like a tortoise, he has his limbs, he pulls them in, and withdraws from sense objects. What is the perfection of this? Who can say? Kurma kriti anubhav. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu showed this. Kurmakriti Anubhav. He showed the Anubhav of Kurmakriti. Mahaprabhu was staying in Puri in a later Antilila of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Yuga Dharma is finished. The spreading of Krishna consciousness, the preaching of Krishna consciousness that he involved in, distribution of Namsan Kirtan, finished. When it finished, Advaita Prabhu, who called him for that purpose, gave him permission to retire from that and pursue his bhajan life and set an example for us in that regard. It's not that the first day we come we shall be given instruction, siksha on bhajan. Mahaprabhu's lila has shown us the way. His lila is called acharya lila. So by his example, the Lord is teaching in his appearance as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And for 48 years, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was present, and out of those 12 years, in bhajan. And some 12, 15 years also in playing the part of a, a gani or a pandit. And in between all that time, 24 years, doing Namsan Kirtan, traveling widely. It said that this, a sannyasi becomes more famous the more he travels. I've done my share. I know I only sit here now, but I've done my share over the years. <laughs> but uh, Mahaprabhu traveled widely, from Nabudip to Puri, from Puri all the way to South India and up Kanyakumari, up to Trivandrum and back, back to Bengal, or to Vrindavan, Banaras he went, Prayag he went, so many places, traveling and preaching, distributing Namsan Kirtan. So, if you can get involved in this Namsan Kirtan and connected with the devotees who are directly involved in Namsan Kirtan, this will purify the heart. This will qualify us truly for sitting in life of bhajan as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did in the latter 12 years of his lila, in anti-lila. Advaita, as I said, called him for the Yuga Dharma. Swayam Bhagavan came, but he also came at the time which was appropriate for the Yuga Avatar to appear. So the function of the Avatar is Yuga Avatar was also performed and the Yuga Avatar, Gornarayan, is of course in Swayam Bhagavan as all forms of the Lord are. So he did the Namsan Kirtan. And then retiring from Namsan Kirtan with the waiter's permission, he said yes. There's no longer any need for rice in the market. He gave a mystic, uh, poetic type of explanation. Mahaprabhu understood. Now he had permission of Advaita. He began his bhajan life. Vipralambha Seva.
and who is living in the Gambira. Have you ever been to Puri? Raise your hand. Have you been to Jagannath Puri? Have you seen the Gambira of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? It's a very, very, very small room. Whenever we go anywhere, we wonder what our accommodations will be. <laughs> and where will I sleep? And what will my accommodations be? It would be worth our while to go and see the place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's accommodations. Small, small stone room. Very small. And inside of that, such a big idea. Such a big and far-reaching and affectionate and thereby accommodating idea. Love is accommodating. It, we may be a small room, but if you have love, then <laughs> it's room enough. So space alone is not what is accommodating, but friendly dealings. Brahmajyoti is very spacious. Lots of room there. But not as accommodating as Vaikuntha. And Vaikuntha is extremely spacious as well. Goloka is said to be more accommodating and Braj within Golok all accommodating. Everything, all of Vaikuntha, all of Brahmajyoti, all what can be found in the material world, everything found in Goloka. So broad and spacious, so accommodating. It's accommodating by the, the nature of the affection of the Lord for his devotees and the devotees for the Lord that makes up that place. So Mahaprabhu had such love, such affection, such love for Krishna, and overflowing everywhere throughout the world. They were staying in such a small room. So we don't need a lot of room, a lot of space in this world to be happy. We need a big idea, a high idea. Sridhar Maharaj was fond of saying that the nature of Mahaprabhu's mission is that it's very magnanimous. And he would give a, a nice example. Ordinarily, it's said that let's not judge him or her based on their past. Forget the past. Let's judge him in terms of his present he may have blooped and did this, that, or the other thing. Let's forget about that. <laughs> but he's here now. That's what counts. But Chitamar said, Mahaprabhu's magnanimity goes further than that. Let's not judge him based on his past. Let's not judge her based on her present. But let's judge them based on their future, which is based on the ideal that they hold. If they embrace the ideal of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then that they will attain. In this sense, whatever footing we have in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sampradaya puts us in a better position, however insignificant that may be, than being fully accomplished in any other discipline. Sridhar gave another example in this regard, that if a man works as a doorman in a hundred-story building and next door is a ten-story building, and every day the chief executive, the president, the CEO of that 10-story building drives by in his fancy car and looks at that doorman. The doorman looks at him and he's going in, going up to the 10th story, he's got a fancy car and everything. Still, the doorman's position is better connected with the 100-story building because he has the prospect working for the company over time rise up to the CEO of that 100-story building and look down on that 10-story building CEO as if he's just a doorman <laughs> in comparison. Of course, at the same time, he will never do that. He never looked down on him. 
Because he knows I got there by the mercy of Guru and Goranga. I was just a doorman. And it happened to me. I was just Gopakumar of Briyad Bhagavatamrita, for example. Just a cowherd, village person, unsophisticated, uneducated. And I've come to this position that Krishna, seeing me entering through his leela in Golok, passed out in a faint, woke up, embraced me, took me to his house, gave me a seat at the dinner table at Nandagram, next to Sridam, Subal, Stoka Krishna, Vasudam, Dham, all the friends of Krishna, Madhu Mangal. How I've arrived at this position by the grace of my Guru, Goranga, Krishna Chandra, not by anything I've done. And still we have to do so much. But if we do what we have to do, if we practice Krishna consciousness, we'll make progress and we'll feel that we're making progress not based on our practice, but on something else. That we've managed to attract the kripa of Guru and Krishna and that that's bringing us up. It's like I've given an example. If you're in the forest and you fall into an old neglected well, then how will you get out? If you fall to the bottom of a well, how will you get out? You have to call for help. If someone comes and sees you there, throws a rope to you, you say, okay, hold on to that rope now. I'll pull you out. And as he pulls you out, you get to the top. You don't say, boy, I, was, I held that rope pretty good, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't even enter your mind. You think, you saved me. You pulled me out. This is the experience. We should practice as if our progress depends upon practice while fully knowing it depends entirely upon mercy. Jashodamai, she was able to capture Krishna. She was finally able to tie him up. But the two fingers, two inches, that the rope was too short in Damodar Leela represent two things. And once they were in place, Krishna allowed himself to be tied up. The first thing was her effort. Her effort must be there. When he sees the effort, then he gives the mercy. So effort alone is not enough. That's only one inch. Second inch is his mercy. And by getting that, then it's, the whole thing is, he's wrapped up, tied up. So we should know that our practice is for the purpose of attracting the Surup Shakti, that we may get their blessing. They may look upon us in how we feel. So unqualified. It's like if a young fellow comes to the temple, to the moth, and he says, I'm very attracted to your, your mission. And what does it involve to practice? And we tell him, you have to do this, 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 these things. He says, yes, I agree with all that. I, I do all of that. And we tell him more and more, and he's fully enthusiastic and willing to practice and understands the logic of it. But then he says, but I feel so unqualified. Will we agree with him? We say, no, no, yeah, yeah. the more you feel you're unqualified, we think you're very good. Come on. Because it is said in Bengali, what is it? Bhakti Lakshan Char, the symptom of a thief is too much bhakti. Yes, yes, I can do. I can do that. Yes, I'm very devoted. But we, we, we suspect that. Because hmm. devotion is not cheap, actually. Real devotion is not a cheap thing. It's mentioned in the Upanishads that one who says, I do not know Brahman, 
knows Brahman. Nature of the thing. It's unknowable. So, the more we feel ourselves unqualified, actually, the more qualified we become. One of my godbrothers once said to Sripad Bhaktivedanta Goswami Maharaj, Maharaj, Guru Maharaj, what if we really are unqualified? I mean, we really are unqualified. And Siddhartha said, you feel like that? Very good. Very good. So, that is Jaitanya Mahaprabhu's uh, mission that extends himself to the most unqualified. So it, it is a very high thing. Sridhar Marsh once said that he had occasion to go in his sannyas life during the time of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur to the doctor for something. And the doctor said to him, this is West Bengal, of course, and the doctor said to him, so uh, what have you learned by this? This means this, this dress, this sannyas business. In India, to be a doctor, even in America it used to be, to be a doctor was a very noble thing. Help the people. When you speak of in a, in a poor country like India, and to be a doctor doesn't mean to become wealthy necessarily, decent living, but to help the people. Young man, young, enters into the medical profession to do seva, jan seva, hari seva. <laughs> and he's thinking like that, that serving the people, that is serving hari. Manusev, madhavasev. But we think just the opposite. Serving Madhava, that'll be serving mankind. Not simply serving the people, is the sum and substance of serving God. So anyway, he he asked, they think like that, what, what did you get from this? What is this? This sannyas. This is in West Bengal. So Sridhar said, well, I've learned one thing. Paramahamsa Ramakrishna was bogus. <laughs> what a strong statement to make in West Bengal. <laughs> Ramakrishna, of course, mission was employing this man, no doubt. Ramakrishna mission opened many hospitals all over India and West Bengal, and his idea was, along these lines, was, well, by serving the people, this is serving God. This is not some substance of his idea, but um, let us say he did not represent Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings purely. He was a mystic, and he had some, no doubt, otherworldly experience, and many people respect him very highly. And in many respects, he's worthy of respect. But from the Gaudiya Vaishnava point of view, we have only one Ishtadevata, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And what his teachings are, what he has given to the world, in our research and with the yardstick of objectivity, as much as one can be objective in these things, because we are drawn by our Sukriti, we have a certain psychology based on our Sukriti, that causes us to identify with a particular ideology and a particular kind of logic and so forth. So we identify with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with logic, we call it Sumedasaha, Sukritivan, who has good Sukriti, Bhakti Unmukhi Sukriti, from being in connection with devotees in the previous life, knowingly or unknowingly. But still, when we try to withdraw from our sentiment, our bhav, our sentiment, our subjective involvement in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission and look objectively at what really what other paths are saying and really consider what they're saying. We find that they have answers and arguments such that practitioners of those groups would not be satisfied with our preaching to the choir type debunking of this path or that path and so forth. 
Not that there's not a place for that. There is. But if we look objectively at so many paths, we find, oh, there's so many good things there. But still, and as I say, as much as we can be objective and neutral, we find there's very good reasoning in support of extolling the virtues of what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give. And as I've said before, even if the logic of other paths is equal, and you reach a stalemate from a logical point of view, still, Krishna is more charming conception. And any honest and logical person will go, oh, you're right about that. <laughs> He's charming. The Krishna conception of God is very charming. Then we make our final point. So just do we want to live in what's logical? <laughs> is that happy? Or are our hearts attracted to charm, to beauty, to affection? Well, if there's logic that supports an ideal of charm and beauty and affection that is unrivaled, then we should embrace that. If we get feeling for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching, then we'll never be short of any reasoning to support its value in the marketplace of spiritual ideas. So anyway, Ramakrishna was not Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Some people said, at one point he said, oh, and he tasted the Radhabhav, and he tasted this of Kali and that and so forth. But Radhabhav is not something that you taste and then, according to the theology of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you taste that and then you go try something else. So that, we cannot accept that because we know what is the nature of that according to the theology of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. One who develops Stahibhav can never turn away from that. Never. Impossible. So he said like that and what he meant by it was that I will not say that having come to my Guru Maharaj and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission and even in a renounced disposition for a number of years that I have attained the highest thing that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come to teach about. But I know this. I know what it's not. I know what it's not. And that's a good part of the equation of getting there. Prabhupada in his Gita commentary what were the two things that he emphasized? He preached against Mayavad and that Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for the purpose of what? Making people devotees of Krishna. And his Gita was very successful in that regard. So the point is that without getting this Mayavad out of your head, then you cannot become a devotee of Krishna. It's not possible. So that's part of the uh, equation. And Chittamarsh, uh, of course, we think that he has attained more than that, but he spoke in such a way, which, in fact, evidences that, as I'm saying. One who says he has not attained, we think maybe he's attained something there. Because the closer we come as finite souls to the infinite, the more we feel how finite we are and what infinite really means. So inconceivable, beyond our grasp. So one who says he knows then we suspect. Who says, I don't know? Then we think he must be getting there. Because he's unknowable. Unknown and unknowable. Lovable, yes. It can be captured by love, but he can't be known. You can't know everything about him. He doesn't know everything about himself. But we found a way to know more about his self than he knows about himself. That is what Rupa Goswami is teaching. In search of his own self. He took a particular posture. Antar Krishna Bahir Gauram. 
Inside he's Krishna, but outside he's showing the this color of Radha, the sentiment of Radha. For the purpose of knowing himself, tasting himself as much as possible, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was frustrated in that regard. That Antilila and Puri, all those ecstasies, he could not contain the Radha Bhav. That's Krishna trying to be in the position of Radha. But the wonderful teaching of Chaitanya Sampradaya, Gaudiya Sampradaya, is that we, insignificant jivas, can rise to such a position that is enviable by Krishna himself. We can know more about him in a sense than he knows himself. Taste more of him than he can take. Of course, it is a chinta bed to bed, so it's him. We are also him. <laughs> There's nothing but him. A certain aspect of him. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Puri, he lived in a small room, the Gambira, about eight by eight, just big enough to lie down. And he was so absorbed in internal life that the devotees sought to protect him from himself. He could hurt himself. So they used to lock him in the room at night to keep him in there. Govinda's servant would sleep in front of the door. And one night, staying up all night and chanting, Govinda falling asleep, Mahaprabhu became so absorbed, he found a way out. Door was locked. There's one little window, I think. You couldn't fit through that anyway. It's locked. Some scholar once reasoned that there, maybe there was a, a hole above the door that he got through. But if you go there, I don't think there is a hole above that door. Somehow he got out. Some people say he melted and went underneath the crack of the door in ecstasy. Came out and he went to the cow shed of the temple cows of Jagannath. And when he entered the cow shed, he fell over in ecstasy. And all of his limbs, they were withdrawn like a tortoise. Kurma kriti anubhav. He showed the, this anubhav of kurma. His limbs drew in like a tortoise, head into his body and his arms into his chest and his legs in, and foam coming out of the mouth. And the cows licking him and sniffing him. Sounds shocking. <laughs> One man, a scholar, asked Shridamarsh, this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his teachings are very good, but at some point, very, very unattractive. He became falling on the ground and foaming in the mouth. And this is what you want. Yes. <laughs> this is what we want. The wonderful charit, adbhuta charit, the wonderful character of Krishna Prem is that on the outside it looks just like poison, but in the inside it is full of ecstasy. And conversely, the material life, it looks good on the outside, but on the inside it's rotten to the core. Mahaprabhu laid there, the devotees came to the room, Govinda woke, found him gone. He went, got Damodar Swarup, Raya Ramananda, and others, and they began to search for him. They found him in the cow shed. They picked him up, all packed together like a tortoise. They carried him to another location. The cows did not want to give them up, licking him and sniffing him, showing affection in so many ways. They took him and they chanted loudly in his ear, Hare Krishna Kirtan. 
that Mahaprabhu came to external consciousness. This is the perfection of what this verse is talking about. To sit like this, like a kurma. <laughs> so you have a long way to go. This is Raghunuga Bhakti. <laughs> Raghunuga Bhakti, this is, this is our ideal of practice. And we are not even qualified for ideal of practice. What to speak of ideal of perfection. Raghunuga is a sadhana. We should qualify ourselves for that. And we are qualified in some sense. Because we have some interest in, in Brajalila. That is Ragmarg. But only very little interest, really. We have interest in so many other things. So all those other things have to be revealed for what they are and sorted out and retired and retired. But we shall do that how? In the context of hearing about Krishna and his Brajalila tastefully and appropriately. So here Krishna says what? Next verse, Vishaya vinavartanti niraharasya dehinam rasovarjam rasopiyasya param dushtva nivartate. So Arjun has thought of a question in his mind and Krishna has answered the thoughts of Arjuna. Arjuna thought, well, if you just withdraw your senses like a tortoise drawing his limbs within his body, similarly withdrawing one's senses from sense objects, then people might do that, just be lazy and sit and not do anything. Or a sick person might withdraw his limbs. Or by some force, we may castrate him and think, now you'll be brahmachari. <laughs> this way you uh, withdraw from sense objects. So Krishna is answering that doubt. However, he's saying, if you withdraw your senses from the sense objects, artificially, the taste for sense objects will remain. And then you'll be the only cheater. Because you may be physically withdrawing, but mentally you're preoccupied with sense objects. And invariably, if that's the case, you're preoccupied with sense objects, then somehow or other on the side, when no one's looking, you won't be sitting. You'll be going and fulfilling those. So Krishna says, not like that. He says that by practicing in such a way that you get a higher taste, rasa, then your pragya becomes stita, then your intelligence becomes fixed. So when ruchi comes, then intelligence is fixed, not by philosophy, not by practice, but it's naturally fixed. And one is guided by his taste, carried by that, feeling rules over philosophy. And that's our practical life, and that's a problem. But when feeling for Krishna comes, then it's a solution to a dry life. However logical and philosophically sound it may be and satisfying on some level. So Krishna is saying here that the way to sit effectively, to sit and do bhajan, you have to have, actually have a higher taste. You have to have some ruchi. Now, we should practice sitting, as I mentioned. But to sit and just sit, or to just do Krishna seva even, just to preach Krishna consciousness, only about Krishna, you have to have some taste for that, some ruchi, some positive attainment. He's not talking about someone just vyabhasyatmika buddhi. He said earlier in this chapter, one's intelligence should be fixed. This is a little different what he's talking about here. That is nishta. 
But in nishta, there's no positive attainment. Unnecessary things, things that are superfluous to our real life and our spiritual progress, anarthas, principally have been retired. This is the idea of nishta. Principal anarthas have been retired. And therefore, one can sit and do meaningful practice, direct practice of hearing and chanting. But as a result of that, when he gets taste, an attachment, positive attachment now for Krishna, asakti. Oh, then he's coming in the direction of what Krishna is describing as stita pragya in the real sense of the term. And bhav, and prem. And this is all the downhill slope, the downslope. We climb from one side to the other side of the mountain, the of the valley of Krishna Leela. Going up is so hard. Nishta means like at the top of the peak. You can look back and think, Whew, goodness, and look down and think, something to attain, it's real. I got a glimpse. It's not just a theory. It's really there. And then start running down that hill. <laughs>